Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. So what the games, physical basketball is games, versus physical basketball. You, you watch it on YouTube. Anyway. I saw the games. Yeah, I watched the games. Oh, 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 well, we're here. I'm Bob Moats. Welcome to X's and Joe's, a podcast dedicated to decoding the winning formula in college basketball. And I'm Mike Remuth, welcoming you to Episode 6, How Winning Programs Scout and Select. Recruit and transfer scouting, player selection, and coaching hires. Recorded on the evening of February 28th, 2024. So, Bob, did you notice our little duo as a trio today? Did, did, did somebody get the code again? I mean, did, wait, wait, no, hell, it's Sam. We, were, we, we talked about doing this. So, yeah. the great Samuel story is in is is in the X's and Joe's episode 6. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember when I first actually started talking to Sam via DM on Twitter, but I remember when I jumped on Peaks in 2019 after taking a bit of a hiatus, Mike told me, somebody you got to pay attention to when he says something is Sam's story. And the more I kind of looked at him, followed him on Twitter, it's like, I, 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 I mean, I'm just intrigued by this guy. And so we threw out some basketball content. We started talking and before you knew it, you know, we're calling each other, we're zooming and we're doing all sorts of fun things through the COVID and everything else. So I'm just, I'm thrilled, thrilled. I'm, I'm like a kid at Christmas seeing yeah. Sam here on this yeah. on, on our podcast. Yeah, I think I, Bob, I, I, last week I described Sam to others as a mix between uh, Trilly Donovan and David Gergen. Yeah, he's, um, he's kind of a man of mystery, and yet he seems to know everybody. So he's uh, a well-known um, player within the uh, the IU fan community. The Godfather. The man is the Godfather. <laughs> And we're exactly. pleased and we're privileged to have the Godfather here tonight. Referee extraordinaire now too, right, Sam? It is. Uh, thank you both for the introduction. Uh, very nice of you to say, but you also shouldn't feel threatened that I won't be sending the cash payments for the invoices you sent uh, for the uh, presidency and vice presidency of the Sam Story Fan Club. But <laughs> I do appreciate it. Uh, referee extraordinaire. Uh which is probably probably why most most of my body is in consummate pain. Uh, I do football, basketball, and lacrosse, and the basketball season certainly here in Illinois is wrapping up, and it's been a lot. And uh, I'll be very happy when it's over. And uh, you know, just like like you guys said, the uh, the pod it is fun to do it. I I've never done one before. Um, 
there's very few areas of expertise I have, and certainly Indiana University basketball is not one of them. Uh, but it'll be fun to mess around, talk about some things, because um, I certainly have uh, strong opinions about a number of things related to the college basketball landscape, the recruiting landscape, and certainly Indiana University basketball and how we have uh, we're currently in the midst of another season where I am in self crippling isolation because of the uh, on court performances. But uh, that's life. It, it, it's why we have each other. It's why we all have each other. And for those of you joining us live, you know, you're, you're part of a maybe the, you know, maybe the largest support group going on right now <laughs> to try to figure out not just where we are, but how we get out of this place. And that's pretty much what Mike and I have been doing together since, oh, you know, 1996. Yeah, about and, that. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's been one of those, uh, it's, it's been one of those things where it's a, it's just been a fascinating, it's, It'll be fun when we get to the when we get to the promised land. It's going to be fun. When we make it to the mountaintop. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. We we do welcome the uh, the AC chat community uh, to uh, to this pod. This is the first time Bob and I have gone live, so this uh, should be a little bit of a fun experiment for both of us. And we'll try to take some questions at the end. So uh, please, you know, feel free to keep chatting during the festivities. And um, like I said, we'll try to get to some questions uh, for Sam at the, at the end of the fun. And we will, we will try to do our best to keep this conversation on task as our chats between the three of us tend to take a few wide detours from time to time. So more, just, more so than Mike and me usual. That, that's a great thing. Exactly. It's like, yeah, I, it's, it's, it, it, it's like, yeah, so now we got a three top at the Denny's. Yeah. So, but before I, I was, we, yeah, oh, good. No, 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 no. You, you got your thought for him. Go for it. I was just texting uh, one of our mutual friends last night. I was, I said to him that, uh, you know, if you gave a, a room full of Pentecostal preachers a, a dose of amphetamines, that they'd probably have a much more disciplined <laughs> conversation than what the three of us are about to have right now. So, Speaking of discipline, we you know we we do want to make sure we uh we give a shout out to our to the sponsor of the Back Home Net one of the sponsors of the Back Home Network uh, Home Field Apparel, who uh are if you're watching I mean all of us are watching Big Ten and even I think they're making the Peacock uh, ads too. We're seeing TV ads with Home Field and it's it's that moment where you know we feel like we're on the cusp. This you know this community has been on the cusp of something great for a long time. It's the best you know not it's not really a secret, but now it's now it's going to be one of those things where a lot of the uh, a lot more people are going to know where this is. And we've talked a lot about the designs, but I mean, you, you talk about a t-shirt or a sweatshirt that just feels good, just feels soft, like you're like you're in a snuggie while you're sitting there watching a game. I give you home field. I mean, so it's not just high quality design; it's high quality comfort. So I'm I'm a big fan of of what they're doing, yeah. and I know Mike, you are too, and Sam, I know you are as well. Yeah, if it was something. socially acceptable, I would wear my gray bison hoodie every day. <laughs> Somebody might see me and say, "You were wearing that the last time I saw you." But if it's your wife who sees you every day, there there could be some concerns. Um, unbelievable stuff they make, and uh, I'm sure I'll only pick up more of it through the, through the years. Absolutely. Yeah. Within our little fun group, we have no hesitation in using the threat of peer pressure or, you know, social comparison to highlight how awesome, you know, home field gear is. So, so if you want to hang out with the cool kids like us, then you definitely need to buy a hoodie or a bomber jacket from home field to, you know, separate yourself from the, uh, the common crowd. 
right. As, 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 as a great man said recently to me, never apologize for feeling fancy. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, from an IU standpoint, I, I, I do like the, the bison mascot hoodie and the, uh, the new hyper crew neck they have. So it's, uh, I think it's really cool how they like very specifically tailor their new offerings to, um, to, you know, the alumni specifically for, uh, for every school. So that's awesome. Hey. And for what I'm gathering, you know, the, 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 the movement towards bringing the bison back has now even hit student athletic board. Uh, so yeah, Matt, Matt Riemann, Matt man Riemann, who's running the thing. He's a Columbus kid who, you know, put eight across, uh, put eight on me across the street a few years ago and his brother played for me. He's, he's doing a great job as student athletic board president and he, and his mom goes, they're wanting to bring some sort of mascot back. Oh yeah, the bison. He's on that. Awesome. Have him call me. I mean, whatever I can do to help. I mean, you know, because I think it's not just going to be a past thing. These future kids are going to you know, are going to kind of buy into this too. So, yeah, that's check awesome. check out Homefield at www.homefieldapparel.com and see what they've got going. All right. Well, let's get started, gentlemen. Um, I'm thinking at this point we're going to talk a little bit about the trace of college coaches and also the recruiting evaluators. What they're looking at with the prospective players out there, you know, playing grassroots, we used to call it AAU, travel ball, whatever you want to call it, or, you know, beating the bushes in high schools. And what's that information that the fan, the common fan should be really paying attention to versus the noise in the conversation? So I guess what are they look what 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 are what what are people looking for? What are what what are those traits? What are the things that um what what are the things that are out there? I certainly think now that we, I think we're really in a midst, in the midst of the college game. It, the last few years, it has started to change a bit more. And I'm not saying it's quite at the NBA level where you've probably seen those images um, on Twitter and other places where it was an NBA shot chart from 1988 and an NBA shot chart from 2021 or 2022. Uh, we're not quite there with the college game, but what you, really have started to see is when guys go to watch high school players, basically a few, they need to possess basically one of three things in the more the merrier. One is size. Um, we're still at a point where the real value um, for a high level, high major college basketball player is a six, five to six, eight, six, nine wing. Um and even as teams start to play smaller and we talk about small ball and four out and five out, that, that bigger, longer athlete uh, will always have a home. Um, second is skill set. Um, I, I think as we have talked about maybe some of the shift in college basketball, um, it used to be, you know, I needed – I needed a, we might call it a three-tool player, a guy that can dribble, a guy that can shoot, or a guy that can pass. I think now we're seeing more um, of an impetus to attack those high school players, or I guess you'd say college and portal players, um, who have the ability to get to the rim. Because where the sport is right now, in my opinion, the that long-range bomber, Matt Roth, who I never, ever thought would miss, but he did. Um, I think his value isn't as high as maybe it would have been um, in 1995, even though this might be the opposite of what we're talking about. 
a player like that who's more of a one-dimensional offensive player, his actual kind of peak role is being partnered and being played with these slashing 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", guys. And then probably the last thing besides the the skill set and the size is just the athlete. You always want to take a chance on the athlete. And even as Indiana fans, you know, Victor Aladipo, who obviously ended up being an outstanding, outstanding player, his freshman year, he was, he was no good. Mm-hmm. But he still had the athleticism that was just undeniable. And then we saw it again with OG Ananobi, a pair of guys who terrific athletes, uh, but they needed refinement. But you will a- almost always have college coaches they will take a chance on an athlete because if they come good, it's a total game changer on both ends of the floor. Um, and I remember because a lot of a lot of I follow Kansas very closely only because probably just sheer jealousy and envy mm. that their fans get to tune in every night and see this kind of fun, fluid offense uh, littered with these kind of off-ball athletes. Um, Ochai Baji was a kid from Kansas City, not heavily recruited. Kansas took him way late on a flyer after he had a huge senior year. Um, and when they won the national championship a few years ago, I mean, him and Christian Braun were just awesome. But, mm-hmm. you know, that guy from day one, just referencing Victor and guys like Goji Ananobi, the guy they were from day one and the guy they were in day 700 were night and day. And some guys, the the player they are from day one, is the same player they are in day 700. And sometimes that's okay because you know what you're going to get from day one. And if you have that consistency, that's fine. But if we talk about like high impact winning, I think it is that athleticism um, that has really started to show itself because of the value of being able to drive the basketball. So I think when you look at traits, a lot of teams are looking for kind of that size athleticism and skill set. But then you'll sometimes have staffs. Um, Virginia really comes to mind, where I think one of the first things they really want to evaluate is one, do you have any interest in playing in this kind of style? Mm-hmm. And two, how can this guy impact the game on defense? Because um, mm-hmm. they've had some just incredible defensive players, um, but it seems like there, there's more of an interest to kind of evaluate a little bit differently there than maybe you would see just at a lot of AAU events, whether a kid's playing on the EYBL circuit with Nike, Adidas, or Under Armour. A lot of guys, when they go there, you know, they're going to watch a lot of guys go up against a lot of very high-level players, and it's like, I just want to see who's the prettiest girl to dance. Like, who, who is the best one, and that's the guy we want. And, and he may not have – everything you're looking for, but there's enough there to know that's the ticket. And that's the guy well, I want. Um, and you bring up Virginia. Tony Bennett brings an interesting dynamic to the table also because he, he's, he has a very strong faith-based approach to his coaching. And he brings guys in and works, you know, basically that's part of his, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it pitch because it's, it's legitimate. It's, it's genuine. It's, it's a part sure. of who he is. And that's part of that program where, you're looking at certain players and we've talked about this before Mike and I have on the pod and with three of us have talked about this with various people. Um, you're, you're looking for a fit for your program 
And so he find he knows the player he's looking for, and he knows the player that he's looking for that's going to elevate that team to the high to to the level he wants he wants he needs to play at not only to win the ACC but to be successful in March. I I tell the kids all the time like when we do tryouts, the first thing I'm looking for are your basketball skills. Do you have skill? Can you shoot? Can you dribble? Can you pass? Like we were talking about, are you you know if I tell are you uh, are you that type of do you have have you put the discipline in to do things properly? But the second thing I look for is raw, because I can't teach you to be big, and I certainly can't teach you to be fast. And, you know, if you're six foot in the sixth grade, I'm looking at you, even if even if you're, you know, as long as you're not tripping over your own feet, if you can run down the floor, I can do something with you. I can teach you how to do a few things and maybe get you to the next level where in middle school they can teach you a little more. Because I'm looking at this from, at 12, what are you going to be at 15 or 16? Not necessarily, am I going to win titles at, you know, the, you know, in the elementary school circuit in Columbus, Indiana. And, you know, obviously, and you also want to look for kids who are coachable. I mean, that's at the end of the day, you got to have kids who, you know, who fit into that. So, but that athleticism portion, I think that's the canvas, right? I mean, would you guys agree? That's the canvas that you kind of start with here that if you have length and athleticism and you're, this game might be for you. Yeah, it's a lot. I think you see a lot of the the better players that, let's say, make the biggest jump from where they are in, let's say, the senior year in high school to sophomore, junior year in college. It's oftentimes those guys that have, like what Sam described, sort of that baseline level of length and athleticism. But maybe they're just a little bit off in terms of, let's say, their ball skills or or shooting. And then that develops later. Obviously, you know, for Indiana fans, they saw a pretty good example of that in, you know, around 2011, 12, and 13 with what happened with Oladipo. I mean, I can tell you there are many, there's at least one person I talked to in the DC area that, you know, had a great observation about Oladipo. He said, yeah, you know, he'll be a great defender in college if he doesn't develop a jump shot and just everything stays the same. And I asked him, well, what if he does develop a little bit of a jump shot and, uh, and a little bit of a ball handling. Oh, he'll be a first rounder. And so that's like we get such a, a wide range of, you know, potential improvement just based upon that uh that base that high baseline of physicality and athleticism and just add a little bit of an improvement in skill set and then you're on your way. That um that reminds me a bit of a story I heard. Supporter so Moser is now the coach at Oklahoma. Obviously he was a loyalish Loyola Chicago for a few years when he was coaching at Loyola that had coincided with the time I was helping out an AAU program. And I had once asked him, how do you go about, you know, who you offer or who you target? And something he said that I always remember was, and you were talking about that jump from senior year to that freshman or sophomore year. He said, if we think a kid will be in the rotation, so in our top eight, by the time he's a sophomore, we pull the trigger. Okay. And part of that reasoning is when a kid is a freshman in college, and this has nothing to do with basketball, just in general. When a kid is living away from home and he's in charge of his own decisions, the freshman year can be who know, a grab bag. Anything can happen. And for a college basketball player, Practice that is very demanding every day, scouting reports you need to understand. 
the academic side, which isn't as important as it used to be, but then the travel side, the game side, and then the mental side of, yeah, you killed people in high school. You were awesome. Mm-hmm. And now you're, we're going to get you in there for a few minutes and kind of see where it's at. So a freshman year for some people can kind of be disregarded is not the right word, but it, it can be looked past a bit if they still have this faith that, okay, through those bumps and bruises, will he be in the top eight when he's a sophomore? And we offer it. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at things because we can basically excuse a bit of the freshman year because all of those failures that he's going to go through are going to have him ready when he's a sophomore. Because obviously it would be like this for every player, but, but you basically have a kid who's not quite ready as a freshman. He's in the rotation as a sophomore, probably starting as a junior, and then maybe like a top three kind of guy as a senior. senior. And that that is what is kind of a normal, on paper, a normal trajectory, especially for high major basketball. But obviously now, and not to get off the topic, with the transfer portal, the one-time transfer rule, mm-hmm. things can change a lot because a lot of staffs, Arkansas, they can scrap development. They don't really have an interest in that. It's like, I will just pick a new top eight every year. Um, but back back in the 1980s, yeah, this is, you know, I always thought the transfer portal was going to lurk a lot like free agency did in baseball. And in the 1980s, the New York Yankees decided we don't need to worry about the Columbus Clippers as much as we used to. In fact, it's just kind of a dumping ground. We're used as a landfill or a place to rehab an injured dude. And they would just went in heavy into the free agency market. So Steinbrenner would just whip out the checkbook, write a check, go get Davey Collins and think he's going to be a first baseman. Well, Davey Collins was a, like a five foot nine center fielder because he wanted to steal bases. And so he, had, I'm going to go, we're going to be the, we're going to be the Bronx burners instead of the Bronx bombers in the, in the early eighties. And so he goes to, and he kept trying to buy teams and just assemble talent and not build in this, this area where you're developing your own guys. Well, once he got suspended from baseball for a while, and they got some guys that knew what the hell they were doing, um, it, it became a thing where we're going to use free agents and trades to supplement guys like Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, uh, Rivera, these guys that we're going to grow on our own and leave them in as linchpins to this franchise. And surprise, you know, they were back to being the New York Yankees that everyone hated as, you know, as our grandfathers and fathers hated the New York Yankees for a reason. That was why. And you see this with programs now like Arkansas. Yeah, you can see why they're going to have struggles at this point, because every year it's kind of like it's a it's a grab bag. We're seeing this at Indiana to a certain degree. It's like we're we're trying to grab some ground pegs into some square holes. We're trying to figure out what what's going on out here. With you know a six with, with basically three stretch fours basically playing at the same time, uh, and 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 the and the true four is actually more the post player. So you, you kind of look at this from that that vantage point, and it's it's interesting to see how programs are going to continue to utilize the portal. And I think the ones that are successful, are the ones and we've talked about this, but you know the ones that are using it to plug a hole. Like if you need a if you need that six five wing and you don't think you have him. Like that kid that 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 freshman who doesn't crack the top, the, the top eight because you're going to be wrong on some kids. You have a roster of thirteen. You're going to be wrong on guys. We're going to get to that too, but that kid's not going. Um, you know, it, you may have to go get somebody, and you may be more like, well, if I get a freshman, I'm going to have to wait a year. But if I go get a junior or a senior, if I go get Ray J. Dennis, I've got a kid that can produce now versus somebody I got to wait for, and. 
that kind of goes into this, you know, and we're going to get, you know, again, that ranking process too, because the rankers oftentimes miss those guys, but it's not because the rankers did something wrong. Yeah, exactly. Ray J. Dennis is a great example of, he's a kid, we'll just highlight him a little bit. He grew up up here uh, about 25 minutes from where we live. Good senior year, but need you could just watch him and it's like handles got to get tighter. Needs to know where the weight room is. Went to Boise state. Still, they had a, had a good season. He was kind of like a seventh, eighth, ninth kind of guy. Came back. There were still guys in front of him. Goes to the Mac. So basically he didn't really develop, but he was still sort of improving. Crush it in the Mac. And then now, then when he went into the portal, it was like, okay, regardless of his first two years, in the very short term, we saw a guy that produced, maybe not at the level, at this level, but we'll take a chance on him. And there was a lot of schools interested in Ray J. And obviously, mm-hmm. I like him. I didn't think he'd do this well at Baylor. But a team like Baylor couldn't take a chance on him that freshman year. Like right. he would, he he's a great portal example. That guy needs to go develop elsewhere, and then we'll come take him. Which is which is one of the big differences from where the sport is now versus where it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, you think Hell, about five years. Hell, five years. Yeah. Right. Some of the some of the really good players Indiana's had. If I asked somebody, if I asked a common Indiana fan, tell me about Victor Oladipo's freshman year, they'd be like. Mm-hmm. Don't know much about it. Was he awesome? They'd be asking more questions than having answers. Uh, no, he wasn't awesome. But then he got awesome. Um, so anyway, I know Mike, you had asked, uh, or Bob, you had asked him the question like, "What information should fans be looking at?" And I think this is something I know that the three of us have had this conversation many times. I I was never a big rankings kind of guy because. When I was at AU events, I would get to know some of the guys who did the rankings, and there wasn't a big history in the sport of basketball. That's not trying to be unfair to them. I think it's more just a recollection of facts. There was a big history of being at AU events. No question on that. And zero question that a lot of these guys knew everybody, knew every coach, every assistant, every high school coach. Oh, this guy coached that guy. I was never huge on the people in charge of doing the rankings. So unfairly or not, a lot of times I would disregard some of the rankings or I would tell myself that is easy to see. One summer we played Anthony Davis's AU team, Mean Streets of Chicago. Yeah, We played him four times. And when people said, He's the best player in the country, I thought. You don't say. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's like nothing he couldn't do. Uh, <laughs> guard skills and all that. Yeah. Like long, I mean, if you shot it anywhere in half court, there was a chance of it getting swatted, like Kalel. Um, yeah. So I think rankings are important foundationally um, as a baseline. But I think over time, and this is where guys who do do rankings, who work for services or work for websites, 
when you get alerted or made aware of who coaches are watching, I think that is about as instructive as it gets because you only get so many live periods to watch guys. They're valuable, so you're not going to waste it. So if you have if you have a kid ranked first or at 1,000th and you've got coaches at Arizona, Houston, Maryland watching the kid who's 1,000th and coaches from Central Arkansas, Texas State, and uh, Cal Poly watching the kid who's ranked number one, I would be a little more interested in the kid who's ranked 1,000th on the base that I think college coaches – know more about basketball than ranker guys. And um, and I would and I would also just say, you know, these guys travel together. It's kind of like a clown, it's kind of it's kind of kind of like a traveling circus. <laughs> and 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 you know, they're they're all at Peach Jam or they're all here. And back in the old days when it was the old AAU circus, you know, hang out at the Blooming Sportsplex or Spice or uh then the field house up in Indy or even the one up up, up and around Chicago. Assistants get to know each other quite well in the college level because they never know who they're going to be working with in a year or two. Yeah. You know, in a, in a field where eighty percent of your people are, have been on the job less than ten years as head coaches, assistants move around a great deal. So you never really know. You want to keep your rolodex going. You want to keep your contacts rolling. What are you hearing? What do you know? These guys all have guys in the high school programs that they're talking to, and then they got you know again guys who are working for the services that are out there, and they're all talking to each other. Everyone's looking to kind of exchange information. So you look at a situation like Kyle Filipowski is a great example of this too. I think where he just kind of shot up. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with Duke saw some things, Indiana saw some things, other programs were looking at this kid going, you know, he's not your typical 6'9", 6'10", guy that has a stroke. He has got he can do a little more than just shoot it like Bill Lambeer. He's got something going. And you kind of saw that climb up. And, it, and I think that, the, again, these are not mutually exclusive. The offers, rankings, the looks, and the rankings aren't really mutually exclusive. I'm not going to say it's collaborative, but at the very least, it's influential on each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, Sam, you look you look at it the right way, and this is something that, you know, even though people sometimes accuse me of being like a <clears throat> some kind of like a, a servile lick spittle for the, the rankers, um, I, I always tell people that, you know, the, in the work I do, the correlations between rankings and performance across college basketball history over time is obviously undeniable. I mean, all the charts and stuff that we go over and here on X's and Joe's, but that's more like the macro value of rankings at a, at a 30,000 foot level at a micro individual level. Like what you're talking about when you go to a, like the, to an event to see like an individual player, I, I won't say rankings are useless, but they're just one tiny data point in a host of larger considerations. Like what you talk about. And yeah, I'm with you. If I, if I see a lot of the elite coaches, flocking over to one kid i don't care what their ranking is and frankly a lot of the a lot of times you see at those camp events those kids that are ranked like 150 and blow up and then all of a sudden the dukes and carolinas look at them they're not they're ranked 150 at that moment the next Mm -hmm. update in another week or two or three they probably aren't going to be ranked 150 they're probably going to be going up so it's, uh, yeah, it's, but it, again, I think you're right. It's like, you have to look almost like Doppler radar. You have to use all this like little data points of information, you know? Yeah. Maybe the rankings are general area. Yeah. What coaches are looking at them. Yeah. Like what is their, um, what is their trajectory from where they were, you know, like a year or two ago. 
And what do people say about them? What's the actual scouting report on them by the locals? Like, you know, what, who do the locals think is like the best in their area? Does that guy stack up well against some of the other ones that they've seen over the course of like, you know, five, seven years? So, so yeah, it, it is a full portfolio analysis of the players and not just taking like a look at one number next to a kid's name. I would defend the rankers in that if there was ever a time where we had, let's just call it the 200 best high school players in a class. If they were all in the same place at the same time, I think it'd be a lot easier to start going through this. This doesn't mean I'm trying to offer up business decisions of what Adidas, Under Armour, and Nike should do with their money. But Mm -hmm. when you have three shoe circuits in each of those live weekends, there's events in Florida, Texas, and Utah for the three different shoe companies, it gets difficult to watch a kid here and try and project how he might compare to this kid or how would he do in this setting? Um, but because if they were all in one place, uh, I, I think the rankings would be even better, but um, that's probably like buying a Powerball ticket and be like, well, I'll probably win it this time. So it's fine. Yeah. It's not, it'll, it'll probably never happen. No, but you're you're all right, Sam. When once the once they started doing the rankings back in like '84, they didn't have like the camps going on at that time, and or at least they weren't popular. And the rankings were way off. They like get a little bit right at the top, mm-hmm. but they generally were kind of scattered all over the place. Once Night Camp and ABCD and everything started taking off and becoming Five real star. popular, yeah. all those kids started getting actual exposure against each other. Then the rankings actually started to really jump up in terms well, of their actual predictive accuracy. So you're right. Getting as many kids exposed to each other is the key. And we've seen, again, since the mid-80s, we've seen college, really amateur basketball go to more of a national sort of, you know, it's a national marketplace now. I mean, I remember doing um, Municipal Gardens in 2002, and I'm coaching a fourth grade team. And the team from Baltimore, Maryland flew in with their older brothers to play us. I mean, they beat the crap out of us, 36 to 4. The other coach, my my point guard fouls out in the third quarter, the first minute in the third quarter. He's like, put him back in. It's fine. You guys got to get back. Well, you got to get something out of this game. We got to get something out of this game. And, you know, you're you're nothing if you can't put this kid back in. And, you, you know, it walking these kids walking around these, uh, again, gyms, you know, 10 years old with Nike bags and all the swag decked out head to toe. And it was, you know, it was eye opening when you're, you know, in your early, your mid twenties and you first start coaching. You're like, wow, this is something, this is something a little different. So, again, as we kind of as we kind of move into this, you know, we're going to take a little break here. We go into and we're going to come into that next segment. We're going to talk about kind of that the stages and levels of recruitment, like what it actually looks like, and how does it translate not just to players but also coaches because they get recruited too. And even athletic administration who gets recruited. So um, when we go back from uh, from the break here, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about that. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to X's and Joe's. I'm Mike Weemuth, joined by Coach Bob Motes and our friend Sam Story. So, gents, we've, uh, I guess we've covered what programs are looking for in players. So let's maybe delve into the actual process a bit. I, I think most fans understand the in phases of the recruiting process, like, you know, the announcement. But Sam, maybe help us understand how the process looks from maybe the start and through the proverbial hat ceremony where uh, the kid is actually, you know, <laughs> heading to uh, their final destination. Yes. Um, so just like a lot of <clears throat> like a lot of high school sports, um, a guy or girl kind of comes on the scene at some point, sometimes. Maybe it's a freshman on varsity. Uh, other times, maybe, you know, a girl hit a growth spurt or junior year and her senior year of soccer. She's like just an absolute freight train. But at some point, um, a player kind of comes on the scene. So we'll call that, I guess, the first introduction. Um, maybe there was an article written in the newspaper or maybe a travel coach or a high school coach had reached out to a college coach saying, you know, we got this kid. We started to do this. Maybe worth a look. Um, and just like anything in recruiting, you know, a lot of it, we hear a lot more like, man, this is who Indiana's recruiting. Um, recruiting is also a two way street. Like you, we could have the greatest ever high school player in Indianapolis, but it, there has to be two way interest. So one of the first things you want to establish is, is this going to be worth my time? So really you want it, the kid to show up to your school for an unofficial visit. Because on an unofficial visit, they're paying their own way. Now, if the world's greatest high school basketball player is in, in Indy and he's visiting Bloomington, you know, they don't have to refinance their house to get down there. Um, but you want there to be interest on both sides. Because if you don't have that, it's going to go nowhere. There was a famous story after he'd gotten into the NBA because Kawhi Leonard was the quintessential, like, tweener high school player wasn't on a lot of recruiting boards and kind of after he'd blown up where San Diego state had done all this work, he got this novel of a text message from a PAC 12 coach. <laughs> like here's what, here's where we are. Here's what we represent. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of words and he texted back. Nah. <laughs> so there was no, there was no two-way interest. So it would have made no sense for whatever that staff was, Cal or Stanford, whoever, to continue. Um, so now, you know, a kid has kind of come on the scene. If he shows up to campus, that's a great thing. It's like, okay, this, this is theoretically a possibility down the line that we could have some sort of marriage here. Um, and then the third thing really is a staff evaluation. Because there's no there's no issue with having a kid that's not really on your radar come visit for a home game. 
Like if Indiana plays Bethune Cookman at home, they're going to have a lot of spare tickets. So if a recruit wants to come check it out, like, sure, we'll see here. Um, and then probably that staff, I'd say the third thing is probably that staff evaluation. Now this can come from high school film where you miss a lot of things, or it can come from a high school game or usually what occurs a number of in-person evaluations at AAU events. Um, Cause as you know, we have the different times of year where guys can go watch players. Um, we have April, July, they have a June high school period. So basically I'd say you have kind of the kid comes on the scene, maybe a visit is an unofficial is set up or an evaluation can occur before an official visit. And then after that, after you've had the evaluation is when things start getting to, I guess what we would call like the fun parts. It's like, okay, we've seen you play. We like you. We've offered you. And now it's about the official visit. Now, now it is the red carpet. Now it's like, now we want to show off to campus. We want to talk about our NIL situation. We want to talk about our facilities. We want to talk about our cheerleaders. <laughs> so <laughs> the the fun stuff, because on the on the official visit is really the big sales part. And at that point, it's really not all about the kid. It's about um, like when, when Lee McNeely had his official visit to Indiana, his, his parents were there, but his grandparents were there too. So it wasn't all about, you know, we want Lee McNeely to really love Indiana. We want them to also love Indiana because, as you know, there's a lot of people, you know, every recruitment's different, but sometimes you can have recruitments where you need to, you really need to get a lot of people on your side of the fence. It's not as straightforward as just a player in question. Um, and then the last time, uh, closing time, I guess we'd say, is maybe the kid's taken an official, and this could maybe be flip-flopped with the official visit. You've made a visit to their house, and it's like, there's no other way to say it. Like, we need this kid at our school. Um, so I'd say those are kind of the five stages. There's kind of like an introduction that a player is kind of showing a path of his or her own game to become a division one basketball player or division two or three. Um, usually an unofficial visit, um, a live in-person evaluation. And sometimes, and certainly with the school, you know, the bigger the school, the more this could happen. You might have an assistant who watches him eight times, a head coach who watches him six times, another assistant who watches him 10 times. So you're, you have a real clear, understanding of what you think you're getting into. Um, and then the official visit, and then sometimes, but not always the, like the in-home visit and really that push uh, for the commitment. Kids and kids notice who's at their games. I mean, they really know who's watching them and they know who's recruiting them. And Miller cop said it, you know, at the, you know, when he put out that it was that long, I guess, list of things, the head coach isn't recruiting you. <laughs> You know, you 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 know they're they're watching for that big guy in the chair, front and center, taking an eye on him, talking to him afterwards, giving a pointer to trying to coach him through certain things, um, and that's I think one of the one of the big issues that you know when we start looking at recruiting in general is just the amount of time that staffs have to put in, which is where it goes back to the two way interest. You you always want low hanging fruit, and everybody wants to be Kentucky, but even Kentucky has to work to get kids. You know, even Kentucky has to show interest. Like Calipari did go see Reed Shepard play. You know, it. You know, he he didn't just sit there and kind of say, "Well, son, you're 
you're a Kentucky kid, and obviously you grew up wearing a lot of blue and white. So I'll just sit back and wait for your wait wait for your wait wait for your offer or wait wait for you to accept the offer we're giving you. Um, another one is even sometimes when there is like one way interest from a player to a program, it do you do I feel like that's that's an offsetting point for a kid. Like if you grew up a fan of a program and they're not reaching out to you or they're kind of they're dancing around there on level one, level two, but you're ready to take this to the next level. You're like, hey, look, that's nice. And we're texting each other. But can you take me to dinner sort of thing? They're ready for that. They're ready to maybe they're ready to, you know, because they may be ready to commit because they grew up a fan of the program. And I mean, I, I look at an example of that as a you know guy you found, Sam, Braden Smith. You know, there were some programs that I think he really wanted to be a part of and really wanted to get recruitments from. But somebody came in and said, but I'm here for you now. Nigel Pack, kind of the Nigel same Pack. thing. Yeah. You know, it's like you get in early. And and again, the rankers oftentimes get a lot of things right when you really think about when you, when you look at the sweet spot stuff that Mike, you know, that Mike's done over the years, they get a lot right. But sometimes when they look at a kid who might be five eleven, six foot, and they're not sure if they're going to make that jump or can they, or if those kids haven't had the opportunity to play against high level talent or they haven't seen them play against that high level talent, you know, because they're not in the gyms when they're working out. That's the other thing. They're not in the gyms when those kids are being trained. That's huge. I mean, you don't see them playing against potentially guys that are two, three years in college because a lot of this now is being done. A lot of the training and practice, they're going to camps. Yes, they're doing those things. Yes, but they're spending a lot of time working on their games individually. And it's two on one, three on one, four on one, and they're going against guys who are also Division One high major guys. Yeah. So there, I mean, that's that's a thing. Two things that popped into my head when you were going through that. Uh, Steve Zeller, Cody's dad, at one point had told Tom Crean, "Like, you don't need to send that stuff in the mail. You know, I don't need the we don't need the envelope every day with the Indiana logo. Just show up to the games." He was like, "Yeah." Job done. And then talking about the two interests, there's a kid right now who really likes Indiana and wants to be part of Indiana basketball. And Indiana's not really sold on him. And then that kind of leads to the question like, okay, why? Why would they a kid who's decently highly ranked? It's like, okay, why aren't they sold on him? And this probably circles to everything we're talking about is there's not a lot of other people who are that interested either. Like a kid who's a kid who's usually in that top 100, or you know, Mike has done a lot of that great work with the sweet spot. Usually, those type of kids, you'd have people just banging on the door. Um, especially what I would now say is a bit later in the recruitment for a 2024 player. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the two A interest is huge. And then, like like you said, Bob, sometimes the you know we both had mentioned Nigel Pack because it, it had kind of come to the fore at the time he was having a great year um, at a great Marion County tournament and Indiana and Purdue and Ohio state, Michigan and Michigan state were kind of, we like him. We like him. We don't love him. And um, Bruce Weber was like, Hey, they're waiting on you. I'm here. I think you're the man. I love you. And I want you to be here. And he went to Kansas State. And thinking back to there was a team that knocked Indiana out of the NCAA tournament last year, and I could have sworn that Pack was in the game. <laughs> hmm. I think he was too. Weird how that works. Yeah. Well, 
it, it, so it's as you kind of look at that process. So again, you start thinking about levels too, like you know when a kid jumps and the programs of. I, I, I look at my social media can be a kind of a double edged sword. It's great when you you know because we have all this information at our fingertips. I mean, I remember Mike going in, and it's almost like he had you know these publications that were done on a mimeograph <laughs> that he was looking at back in the nineties. I still have microfiche you know. going back then. So. Yeah, it's like you know, and, and you know, guys, you know, hawking their hawking their stuff at high school basketball games. You know, and and you know, big credit to guy, you know, guys like Mike Pegram who kind of just started putting it all online and creating this, creating communities as a result of it, and how that's continued and how it's kind of going throughout the entire game. Um, but you, you, we look at the the fact that at the same time, it's like, look, if you're going to launch a campaign, you're going to have certain sports writers writing you like you're the next coming of Jimmy Chitwood. You know, there's a and and then you start getting these lead ins like, well, you know, there's this the best kept secret in Indiana or the best kept secret in Topeka, Kansas is playing at Topeka Christian Barbers College or Topeka Christian High School and Barbers Academy, whatever. And, you know, he's scoring 74 points a game and he can shoot the ball from the rafters and shoot the ball from the top from the top top row and hits every time. Have you looked at this kid and he'd look really good in a KU uniform. And at this point, everyone's kind of looking at the kid at that point in time. And they're asking the question are, well, who's talking to you? The the people who evaluate talent, who see the kid go, okay, that's great. You're doing this against the kid who's never played basketball before. And that's fair. But we all on the other side, you know, college coaches are, you know, you got a lot of in it. You got some NAI schools looking at you. You may have some D three schools looking at you, or then that first D one offer may pop up at some point. But it's not going to start off at KU, right? Yeah, it's interesting if you think about like the proliferation of all the recruiting sites that's happened over the last you know fifteen twenty years. I think a lot of that actually drives a lot of those campaigns that we see now when it comes to these players because now. People across, you know, not only just within a state, but, you know, in, in neighboring states or the, the offer list for your particular school, you can find it in literally like five seconds going on 24-7 or on three. And so now everyone is aware, okay, my school's looking at this kid. Oh, wait a minute. Why aren't they looking at that kid? 20 years ago, obviously, we had no idea. You look at the paper, oh, this school offered this one kid. You kind of maybe have the back of your head what the offer list is, but probably foggy, maybe not. And so I think that it is interesting how this has almost become sort of like a, a public forum, this whole concept of actually recruiting players, like who gets offered, who doesn't. And so not only what Sam's talking about, you know, who is, you know, whether a player is getting offered by a particular school, sometimes it, the, the, the difference is, not even a conference is an offering a school, a whole like division level is an offering you. So now you have, you know, fans will say, well, what, this one kid is scoring, you know, 48 points, you know, a game over at the, the 1A school. Why isn't, you know, my team offering him? Well, because every D1 coach is also not offering him, not just your school's coach, but the D2 and D3 schools are offering them. Maybe those coaches know something about this kid that, you know, the casual fan doesn't. So it's, uh, it's very, uh, I, I think the, uh, 
the popularization of uh, of recruiting information online has definitely kind of uh, fostered some interesting debates that uh, we never used to have back in the day. We uh, we had a kid who a lot of people remember come through the state of Indiana a few years ago uh, named Luke Brown, <laughs> who had an awesome, awesome high school career. He did. Um, now, they weren't playing – four A teams every night, but he, he was a one man bomb squad out there. Um, and sure. you can still find on Twitter, you can still find these tweets. Mm-hmm. I don't know the people who wrote them. Thankfully, I guess I'd say, um, <laughs> of Luke Brown's name in a tweet with Archie Miller. And mm-hmm. to me, this, it, I'm not trying to pick on the kid because I couldn't take away from the fact he scored 4 billion points in high school. It was that he is the quintessential example of what we would call stages or levels. He, he had a ball state offer, right? He had an offer into the Mac and then it was like, Archie Miller has got to be at his game tonight and he has to watch him because in the movie Hoosiers, I saw Jimmy Chitwood light it up. Mm-hmm. I saw Matt Roth, hit a bunch of threes in an Indiana uniform. Like he's got to be there. But the question, and this goes with ADs, coaches, players. The question at the time should not have been, why hasn't Indiana offered? After the Ball State offer, it should have been, why hasn't Indiana State, where are they? And then after that, where's Butler? Where's Cincinnati? Then after that, Okay, now where is Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana, Michigan, Michigan State? Kind of those more regional Big Ten teams. It's not where's the Indiana offer after Ball State, and we see it a lot. We see it a lot right now in football recruiting mm-hmm. because actually the Big Ten can be the next stop if a kid has eight offers from the MAC. It's not that way in college basketball. Like a kid has an offer from everywhere in the Mac, then you can start to see the Northwestern, Purdue, Indiana, Illinois guys in basketball. It is not. Yeah. You know, on, on signing day, he was deciding between Western Michigan and Kentucky. It's like, that's just really not how it goes. Um, But we get those stages with players. um, And I think it's very similar uh, with ADs. Just a quick example, two of, two of the guys right now, in the industry who are thought of as very good athletic directors. Um, there's a guy named Gene Taylor, who's currently the, the athletic director at Kansas state. He didn't start at Kansas state. Okay. He was at North Dakota state. Then he became the deputy athletic director at Iowa and then went to Kansas state, but there probably weren't people in a second or third year at North Dakota state being like big 12 AD written all over him. It's like maybe, but there there are stages to this. Um, Mac Rhodes, who's done a really good job at Baylor. I mean, he was at Akron. So again, like Mac level, he's there three years. Went to Houston for six. Had a cup of coffee at Mizzou. Been at Baylor, doing great. Um, and then it goes to coaches. And mm-hmm. I think I speak for all of us. I loved Michael Lewis. I love the guy. Mm-hmm. Jacob, Jake, Jacob Jakes, you take that ball off the face. Yeah. Uh, 
in you've seen the posts and the tweets. Like, is he the next guy at IU? Let me tell you something. Todd Kowalchuk just finished three years where he was the regular season champion at the MAC at Toledo. You know what job he's being linked with? There's Toledo fans that want him fired because he had won the conference tournament. So if the guy who's won three straight MAC championships, admittedly the regular season, is being linked with Toledo, yeah. then somebody like Michael Lewis, his level and his stages presumably would not be – he did it at Ball State, so he should do it at Indiana. It would be similar like an Indiana State, a Cincinnati, a Butler, and then we start talking. Um, and just to wrap up our segment here, I would feel the exact same way about the heartthrob of Indiana right now, mm-hmm. Dusty May. They're incredibly fun to watch, and when they're kicking ass, they are, honest to God, a joy to watch play basketball. It's fun. It's fast. We would call it modern because they don't have plotters out there, even though Golden's from Russia and probably ripping shots every time out just to <laughs> stay faithful to his native motherland. Slavic, Slavic bigs are not American bigs. Done. That, that's just – it's a whole different species of animal – they are no. I mean, six ten. You want you want to ski at the end of that name. Right. Apologies to our Muscovite listeners on the X's and Joe's podcast. That's right. Get out of here. Right. But somebody like Dusty May, presumably that next stop is that next chance to be in the real proving ground. That Clemson, Ole Miss, Kansas State. You know that Power Five program who has had some really good bits and pieces in their history, but aren't a mainstay of what we would call high-end college basketball jobs. That doesn't mean I wouldn't want him to be Indiana's coach in six, seven, eight, ten years. But I think realistically you can step back and be like, that his level and his next stop is one of those, not Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, programs of that, what I would consider that, size and caliber with those resources. So well, it's like it, so you think it's like baseball where you can't be a single A player and start for the Yankees the next day. Right. Usually the case. Yeah. Usually the case. And and I also think part of this also comes down to I look at when I'm looking at head coaching candidates anymore, I'm looking and I, I I'm also one that would say there are times I look at even assistant coaches on D1 staffs and think maybe they need to be ranked up a little bit because of their contacts. Sure. So much of this game is not just understanding X's and O's and understanding how to deploy offense and understanding how all that works. It's can you accumulate talent? Can you develop a plan? Can you run a program? All of those elements that get factors in. And, and Dusty May clearly can do a lot of those things, but you sent him to a K-State for a while. Looks like Micah Shrewsbury did. You know, he went to Penn State. Now he's at Notre Dame. He's now able to rank up the tour of kids that he's talking to. He gets to and 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 now directors who would put a or you know basketball directors of, of big programs who had him fifth on the call sheet or tenth on the call sheet when he was at Penn State now have him at fifth. You know, he he now ranks up because of where he's coaching, and that gives him more experience in more, more of those areas. So that actually, that prestige factor makes a big difference. And when we come back from the next break, we're going to talk about how those programs, not just their prestige, 
their image, their style, their performance, their resources, how they impact who and who they recruit and also how they recruit those types of players. And welcome back to the X's and Joe's podcast. I'm Mike Weemouth, joined by Coach Bob Motes and our pal Sam Story. So, boys, uh, with March just one leap year day away, um, let's discuss the banner hanging squads. Uh, what, and this directed directly to you, Sam, um, what ultimately do you think separates the great programs from the wannabes? Like, you know, we're thinking about as fans, you know, we can see obviously during the games, like just the, the flow of play and, you know, whether a team runs fast and slow, but like getting down to a little bit more of the sort of the, the roster and roster and scouting details, like what those, what do they look like and what causes teams to be able to access those players in terms, like Bob said, with the style and the type of campus they have, what are those factors that actually allow those teams to get those players that maybe are a little bit more off limits to the other teams? I think as we kind of piggyback off some of the things we were talking about earlier, um, I think with where college basketball is now um, and a bit how the game has changed, I have found the programs that have multiple wing athletes. Now this, we could call this a shooting guard if you want, but multiple guard and wing athletes who can pressure a defense, I think have a leg up over, over those that don't. Um, And now like we were saying, you know, you can uncover these guys a lot of different avenues. Um, Guy could have started at a small school, blew up, and then went into the portal and ended up in a big pool. Uh, could be somebody like Agbaji, who we were talking about, lowly rated, kind of bided his time in Kansas, then started crushing people. Um, so something I was looking at was the, the last few years, you basically, there's been the Big 12, mm-hmm. there's been the SEC, mm-hmm. and there's been the Big 10, and then the ACC has been kind of a mess because their bottom is usually really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So between looking at the, to me, the big 10, and I'm sure you guys would agree. We don't have a consistent March winner. Um, and I think a part of that is I don't think the big 10 has a lot of that dynamism mm-hmm. off ball that we would see in the Big 12 of the SEC. So just four quick examples of four programs that in the last five years have either had a really good run or they've won it or they were just awesome. And like how did that roster look like? So uh, 2018-2019 Auburn, they made, the, they made the Final Four. Um, Jared Harper was just like – he was like Yogi Ferrell on steroids. He just he was maybe a little quicker, a little stronger, and he had just these hops. A lot of times, Auburn that year was playing Harper. Here, I'll just give you the sizes of what was kind of their best lineup. 5'11", 6'3", 6'4", 6'7", and 6'7". Mm-hmm. Or 6'7", and 6'8". They had a yeah. 
that year they had a great center, Chuma Okiki, who tore his knee in the NCAA tournament. If you want to talk about speed in modern, the guys trotting out there with three guys who were 6'4 or less. Um, they finished sixth in offense, 155th in pace, but they were 43% of their points on the year came from three. Okay. So we'll fast forward 2021, 2022, Kansas national champions. Dewan Harris, who a lot of people know is still there, one of the best defensive guards in college basketball. But then they had Agbaji, Christian Braun, who was maybe a half inch taller, and then Jalen Wilson, who last year they had Wilson and Kevin McCuller, who were very similar, like six eight. I guess what we'd call like a modern four, but definitely a drive first kind of guy. And then probably the great thing about him is, yeah, they had a post presence, David McCormick. McCormick. He didn't get the ball a lot. He was in there, you know, a bit like Jared Jeffries' NBA career. He was in there to guard everybody. And then when he did get it down there, he's going to flush it. Um, they, again, they were sixth in offense as well. When I say offense, I mean Ken Palm adjusted offense. Sixth in offense, sixth in pace. They were they were going. Um, but probably the interesting thing, 54 55% of their points were on twos. But as you go through those player profiles, Harris, Agbaji, Braun Wilson, so much driving the basketball. All of them had a huge number of twos compared to threes. They really were the uh, – the Romeo Langford. They really wanted to drive the basketball before they had given thoughts to launching one. Um, 2021-2022 Kentucky, the same year, but Kentucky decided as the Big Ten is going to sign with Peacock, we're going to lose to the Peacocks. Um, but that Kentucky team, another, again, 5'9", 6'3", 6'5", uh, former Hoosier, Keon Brooks, of course, uh, <laughs> seven. And then Chibwe, who was six nine, but is, you know, recall, played like he was eight foot four. Right. But again, that team, um, fifth in offense, 60.9% of their offense was twos. But again, drivers. Like Kellen Grady wanted to shoot threes. Keon Brooks did not want to shoot a three. Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler wanted to get to the basket. And then Shibway obviously only shot twos. Um, and then the last thing, and then we can kind of tie this all together, 2020-2021 uh, Baylor, national yeah. champions. Davion Mitchell, 6'2", Jared Butler, 6'3", Flagler, 6'3", Mark Vital, 6'5", even though he's built like Rambo. Macy <laughs> um, Teague, 6'4", and then they had either Tamba or Chamu Chachwa in the post, who was a traditional low post kind of guy. Second in offense, um, number one, three point percentage, forty nine percent of their points from two, but they had literally the perfect balance because they led all of Division One at the time, three hundred and sixty one teams mm-hmm. in three point percentage. So, yeah. as you're talking about what does what does a great program look like? And to me, it is pace and space, like modern, high level winning. It doesn't have a bunch of guys who are seven foot tall. Mm-hmm. If it had to have a bunch of guys who are five eight, it'd theoretically be more possible. But you basically have, and we're we're kind of scrapping 
old ideas on point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward. It's more lead guard, mm-hmm. playmaker who can make things happen in pressure of defense, and then some sort of combination of two guys off ball, regardless of height, that can also move a defense because they can get to the rim. Mm-hmm. And, you know, varying levels of a five-man. Or you had David McCormick, who didn't get the ball a lot, but then Shibwe, who got it quite a bit. Um, but essentially a really good winning March program. They have those. This goes back to one of the first things we talked about was they have those off-ball guys that can either move a defense or pressure one because they can get to the rim. Because as Dean Smith said a long time ago, the greatest ever offense is the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And like if you watch some of those Auburn clips, when Jared Har- Jared Harper would drive it, it'd be like Eric Gordon. It's like, well, yeah, I found him. Yeah. I like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, Sam, I love the fact you brought up Dean Smith because, you know, I brought up the Bible before, you know, the sacred text of multiple <laughs> offenses and defenses. The Pentateuch. The Pentateuch of, co- of, of basketball coaching in my you know. <laughs> And with a forward by Bob Knight, so it's like you know you you get the whole shooting match on this on this piece of li- literary masterpiece, but it has a whole bunch of offenses in there that you know are dated in the seventies and eighties. You have concepts in there, but a lot of the problem I think when 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 you talk to you know regular you know people who grew up watching the game in that era, even through the eighties, even the early nineties, before you got the thirty five second on the thirty second shot clock. People just don't understand that you don't need massive amounts of movement and complexities in offense to move a defense now. In fact, that's where the that's where the dribble penetration comes into play. You have to have dribble penetration because you don't have the time to run eight back screens and three reversals to get the ball inside through passing. Plus, I think that there's been a uh, there's always a discrimination against guards for a long time that you know. We don't really want you dribbling the ball. That's showy. That's flashy. It permeated through the game up until probably, again, the early to mid-90s. Really, I think Mike Mike's always said this with Duke, that it was probably Mike Krzyzewski who kind of started the dribble-drive construct, and Calipari perfected it. But a lot of it came down to defense when they started doing more, more help side, more double, t- you know, basically doing that, getting moving defense to stop things. Now you have we call I call them help dilemmas. We call them help dilemmas, where it's like, okay, this guy's driving. His job is to beat the first guy. Sometimes he needs a ball screen. Sometimes he attacks a closeout. Just depends on the player. Depends on the situation. Now, how does the defense stop that person from getting to the rim? Because you don't want to see what you saw, what you see in sometimes in games where it's like the defense parts like the Red Sea and the guy's hanging off the rim, and now he's now now his Nikes are on your 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 eyebrows while you're doing this. You got to, you know, so now at that point, you've got these guys moving. And is it, are you going to take the guy off the big and let the guy throw the dump off for the lob? Are you going to take the guy out there and get the ball to the wing or to the corner for the three point shot? Which is again where it goes down to the old we need shooters cry, which drives us all bonkers because you can be a shooter. That's great. But if you're just a shooter, then you're not creating a help dilemma. They're going to stay. They're they're going to basically take you off. And if you're a forty percent shooter here on the wing, and you got a twenty percent shooter on the corner, you're getting covered in that because the scout's going to tell the tell that team to do it. And Division One high major teams, good ones, are going to cover that. 
especially in an NCAA tournament when they when they're sinking at the highest possible level because they're playing basketball at a high level. What's better is instead of we need shooters, we need multi-tool players who can hit three-point shots. Would you rather have a guy that hits 40% or four guys who hit 35 and a guy that hits 30 on the floor? I take the second one over the first one every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Because I think what people also forget is that 35, they're doing 35% and 40% on the three-point uh, as aggregated statistics. This kid's a 40% shooter. Well, that's only five additional three-pointers in 100 shots. When did he hit them? <laughs> when did he hit them? And the other question becomes, it's not just looking at the aggregated stat, but it's like sometimes a kid may go 0 for 4, and sometimes a kid may go 4 for 6. And if he's going 0 for 4 in an eight-man rotation, that may be his day to kind of sit on the bench and drink some Gatorade and cheer his teammates on, wave the towel, while the other guy, who may go 4 for 6 that day, who went 0 for 4 the last time, goes in and replaces him, which is where you have to have a little bit of a bench and a little bit of depth in order to be competitive at this level. There are parallels to what you're saying to just within like our own Indiana fandom, because the last few years um, we saw Sasha Stefanovic bomb it for Purdue. So Matt Ross first two years where he played, I think he was 37, I want to say it was 37.2 and 37.5% from three, which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I should say it's, it's good. The year he had Zeller. 52.5, which seems just impossible to believe. So he didn't really change. He, he was a pretty one-dimensional offensive player. His value skyrocketed because you started having a wing player in Aladipo who could drive it, and then they had a post presence. Mm -hmm. Sasha Stefanovic, I believe his best year shooting at Purdue – just in terms of raw three-point percentage, was his freshman year. That was also his worst offensive rating. Mm -hmm. When they had Ivy and he had developed a shot fake a little more, were the two years he had the highest offensive rating. The, the, the standstill shooter on his own doesn't bring a ton of value. But when you can have one of those guys paired – with a slasher or two, now it becomes the kind of offense. And Florida did it very differently with Billy Donovan because they had that guy, Lee Humphrey, mm -hmm. who a one-man napalm thrower. But Corey Brewer, when he got mm -hmm. the ball, it was like, I'm going to the basket. Mm -hmm. They had Horford and Joe Kim Noah, and it was like, okay. Those two guys are built like California Redwoods, and we've got to be able to somehow stop that. And then if Brewer drove it, there was big issues. So he, Lee Humphrey on his own was whatever. But when those guys are paired with better athletes as teammates, then their own value can just skyrocket. And, and that, that's where um, when people uh, say, you know, we need shooters, we need shooters, I'm like, not as much. As we need setup men, yeah. we need guys to like well, set them up, and yeah. that happens when a guy and, can pass his hand and, and draw fouls. Yeah, it's funny. Like um, Sam, I think when we first started texting each other years ago, I think um, that was like one of the first topics I th believe we discussed was the value of shooter slashers versus just shooters or just slashers. And so, I, I, 
I think, you know, if you, if you looked or if the FBI looked at the text messages that you and I have sent to each other over the years, they <laughs> think we were probably, they would probably think Terrible. we're starting like a, some kind of sectarian movement to just get as many shooters and slashers into, uh, Indiana basketball as, as possible. Yeah. I, they, you're right. I mean, if you just look at college basketball, the comparison, like, again, looking at the stuff that I do at the, again, the, with the sweet spot and the rankings and all that, put all that aside. Look at the scouting reports on the teams and just ask yourself, which of these teams has the most number of guys that you can't leave open from three and you can't close out too hard when they are open for three? Because they're just going to be like the moment you take one step too far on the closeout, they're hanging on the rim, you know, less than a second later or they're at the foul line. And I, when people ask me, you know, like, well, what's, what's your ideal team? Like you just, you know, what's the example that the kind of team that you think works and you'd like to see your favorite team be like, and I would say Baylor 2021 because it's an accessible lineup. They're not, it's not like they're just loaded with five stars. They're all, you know, it's a mix of accessible sweet spot, you know, 30 to 80 kids mixed with some really high-end transfers and with, you know, right amount of um, experience, you know, juniors and seniors, and four guys that can basically shoot and drive at the same time. Not not in perfect balance, you know, some guys are a little bit better shooters, some guys a little bit better drivers, some guys a little bit stronger and skinnier than others. But if you watch that championship game, and the Gonzaga team that year was really good. They were. Baylor embarrassed them. There are times where that offense was just clicking so much and that Mark View just had no answer. It's like, I can't cover these guys. There's two spread out. The moment any one of my guys gets one step out of the way, they're driving right by them. And we had to commit. And like Bob says, you create those dilemmas. We have to commit other guys and suddenly the ball's getting kicked. And someone who's, you know, shoots a high percentage even when covered is now going to be wide, wide open. It's going to shoot even higher percentage now. And so the, the, the thing about it is that makes it uh, so alluring is that it's so easy once you have those guys. You watch some of those teams play. They're not running very complex stuff. It's mm-hmm. like you think about how much conversation, like we as IU fans, just trying to dig through the the uh, – the, the potential types of systems you would run. Oh, if we could just run this and we just sent this many pin downs, if we just set seven pin downs and the guys, you know, running around, <laughs> then we'll move into a mover blocker. And then the final, you know, you watch some of these better teams. They don't have to do anything close to that because again, they get the spread going and it's just very easy movement. Once they have those kind of advantages, it's very tough to contain that. And it becomes almost just like, it's like watching a hockey team on power play. Everyone kind of knows, okay, that guy commits, I kick over here. That guy pushes in, he kicks over the open guy. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's the combination of ease of use and also functionality, because obviously so many of the best teams now are doing that and it's obviously working. Well, and it's, it's why when you, when we, when you look at certain, you know, websites that give, you know, break down how teams are scoring. How many teams are now pushing that twenty percent mark in transition? You know how many of their basket points are coming from that fifteen to twenty percent in in transition baskets? Um, 
you know, Mike, I think you brought up a great, you know, you really brought up a great point when you, when you start talking about that repetitiveness, because if you're starting your offense at 23 seconds, like a lot of big 10 teams do. And one that we love in particular does more frequently this year than we've seen in the past. And then you're trying to pound the ball into the post, reversing to the post, trying to get it there. You're, you're bleeding off a huge amount of time and you're really not getting the ball where you want it to go to the people you want it to go to. And that's the other thing is that, yeah, there are some good passing bigs. I mean, Zach Eady's a good, pa- a good passing big. Trace Jackson Davis and um, Trevion Williams were excellent passing bigs. I think Luca Garza was pretty good at, at getting the ball where he needed to get it. But then you go into March and that's just not the case where you just have those, where you have that any longer. And another thought is, as I try to think about this, we start talking about the standalone shooter. And I I remember watching Romeo Langford play uh, at New Albany. And the whole thing when he, well, he's a great three-point shooter. No, he'll be adequate. He'll be good. And he may not be good this first year, but he will, he will develop a shot. Romeo Langford doesn't have to stand there and shoot threes. His job is to basically get three defenders on him and then pick Sean East or another kid from New Albany who'll hit 45% and will have like all day to shoot the ball. Like the, by the time by the time the defender gets there, Grubhub beats him to the point. So <laughs> it's like that's the that's where when you look at the rankings, also you say, well, where are the shooters at in the rankings? Where are the guys that can hit shots in the rankings? A lot of times they're further down the list. And they're further down the list because I mean I think Sam kicked off with this and said it said it best. It's like you need three tool guys. You know, it's not just good enough to have a guy that can you know move off the ball well and get, and get shots. You know, th- you need you need to, they need to have more than one thing to do because they are incredibly easy to guard. Yeah, Mike, the perfect team, just stealing our own Hoosiers here, would be four Langfords and four Eric Gordons because mm-hmm. the four Langford Langfords would drive it every time. And foul the opposition out, yeah. and then the Gordon would stretch a defense, then drive it every time to and foul out the walk-ons. So we get the gra- so we yep. get the manager. so we get Mike Santana on the floor for the opposition. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and getting that, I don't know what nil would uh, require to get that team, but you know, I'm sure someone out there's got the cash for it. So. Yeah, well, we just got to see where Nvidia goes because uh, they can afford all of it if we if we own enough of it. Yeah. So, Mike, did we get any questions from anybody in, the, in, in our version of? I don't want to call it the chat mob because that's an AC thing. What do we want to yeah. call this? Like the, the chat ga- the gallery, the, the the gallery. Do we want to call it? The, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I had a few uh, comments and uh, questions um, before we uh, before we wrap up. By the way, I want to make sure that we uh, handle this. Um, oh, by the way, hi Tony, we see you. Yes, we do see you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> we know where to find you for later for later things. Um, <laughs> One of the uh, one of the questions that did come in from uh, David was about um, Mackenzie Mbako, um, mm-hmm. and you know I guess we're on the topic of rankings. He, he asked uh, what contributed to Mbako's top ten ranking. He said he's, he seems like a nice player, but he suggesting that maybe that that ranking of ten seems a tad high. He looks the part. That's yeah, my, that's that's my kick. He looks the part and. He's 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 got a great form. He's got a great touch on his shot, and he has improved greatly as a Hoosier. But I'm just going to leave it there, and then let Sam go and Mike you too. But that that's that's my first instinct. He looks the part. I think um, as we talked earlier about you know maybe characteristics coaches look for between size, skill, and athleticism. Size is there. Uh, he's very well built. Um, 
skill. He clearly has a defined skill. Um, just the form itself is very naturally clean. Well, he started 21 for 21 or 22 of 22 from the free throw line. He just yeah. mm-hmm. The mechanics are simple. I think one thing that maybe wasn't as known or understood was he's really not a great athlete. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't had a lot of those drives where it looked like he was gaining ground. And by that, I mean he was getting to the rim quicker than the defensive player was keeping up with him. Right. He's really – he's had some good drives this year. Um, he tried to have one last night almost immediately as the game started. But I'm not going to say it looks like he's laboring. It just seems there's not a natural foot speed that he possesses that is allowing him to kind of have his left shoulder on the backside of the defender. You know, it's not a shot fake and a dribble and the guys behind him. He's really been even with the defensive player a lot. So I'm not going to say he's a bad athlete. I, I think I would say I don't think he's very fleet of foot. And I think, you know, if he harbors a long professional career, um, basically two things are going to have to occur. He's going to have to get better with his handle so he can get into his drive quicker. Um, and then he's just got to play more. He needs to play a lot more games so his uh, defensive acumen can ratchet up. Because, there's you know, there's only so much, you know, there's different types of learners, but there's only so much you can really learn in a film session or in practice. He, he needs to play a lot of games. Um, yeah. But obviously, the stroke and the size are great. Sam, and would you would would you say that he that he probably played a lot of zone defense when he was in high school? I could see him as uh, a guy that would be number one on Syracuse's board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah, old the middle of it to protect him offensively. I mean, yeah, the, the greatest annoyance of coaches. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I'd I'd back up Sam's uh, scout on on Ibako. He's um, I, I could, the only thing I would add. I know he. He had some really good games in front of the right people, and that sure. counts a lot. So, I, and also there is a certain kind of bias that I think the rankers have, at least what I notice, for guys that shoot really accurately who are over like six five. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's almost like you almost see like you can see a guy that let's say shoots like you take two players they shoot exactly the same. One guy is like six three. They'll rank him down at like you know. 80 or something like that add two inches to that same or the the, the guy that's next to him shoots exactly the same he's two or three inches taller or they could put him in like you know 15 or 10 sure that's just like a bias despite the fact that as sam says he doesn't really have the kind of burst that you might expect for someone that's at that level and that's always kind of the problem with rankings again it's like the again rankings are great aggregately individually uh one of the problems is that Player skills are not uniform. You know, if you're a kid mm-hmm. that's ranked 50th, that doesn't mean you're 50th at every single facet of your game. You might be the 10th best shooter, but like the 90th best defender. So player skills are just kind of all over the place. So the ranking is kind of generically put kind of a, an aggregation or an averaging out of what your assessed value is. So yeah, with someone like Mbako, you're going to have obviously great shooting, but obviously he doesn't have the kind of uh, athleticism that matches the shooting. So again, that's why you'll see guys really 
especially as freshmen, five stars can have like, you know, very high and lows, you know, compared to each other, even though they were in the same McDonald's All-American class. Yeah. Do you have anything else out there, Mike? Uh, not really. No, that was, okay. uh, that was the, the main question that was asked. So, so as, as we wrap up here and I, I kind of uh, phrases the quantity, the quantity theory of money for Mike. Cause I know he would love it when I throw out a Friedman reference, <laughs> just, just at this point of time as to how, you know, how the amount of money in a marketplace impacts price as well as what well, I called it the free movement of human assets or basically free agency in this area. And now an unregulated marketplace. What are we looking at here as this moves forward? Because I think that we, uh, we we definitely touched on it, but there's a lot of this as we kind of go through the next, I don't know, obviously for IU fans watching March and April very carefully. Whom are we looking at? Because clearly this program needs some help. Um, who and, and, and where are guys, you know, exits and entrances sort of things. Um, and then the, the, the low fruit of that short recruitment that some people seem to just love. Um, where do we think this is going? Uh, I'll give it a crack. The, well, first of all, what does Indiana need for next year? Uh, a lot. Um, I forecast they'll have, well, a, a, they have eligibility, right? Xavier Johnson, uh, Anthony Walker, are done with college basketball. Yep. Um, I'm sure Where's Chloe, pro? where will go pro? pro as he should. Um, Trey Galloway. He's, he told me he'd be back in Indiana. Um, I expect him back in Indiana. Um, but you know, nothing is certain. Um, they're just going to need a lot of guys. Um, I forecast some, uh, staff changes. Um, that's not referencing the head coach because we're not going to worry about that. Um, I, I just think they'll be very, very different. Um, but I think what they need more than anything is they just need way more punch at guard. Um, because Trey Galloway cannot play 40 minutes a night and tag the best team, the opponent's best guard, and then also be asked to expend whatever energy he has to then go play offense. seems like the only third thing the staff hasn't asked him every night is to cure cancer. Um, but they need way more punch in the backcourt um, because, A, they need trade arrest, and, two, they need different options. Um, and as Kalel leaves and Derek Queen is going to Maryland, I think it stands to reason they could want to pick up another five. Um, and then there'll just be, you know, a general list of questions on like player returns, like Caleb Banks and CJ, Caleb Banks, especially has played very little in the last two months, uh, as, C- a, as a sophomore, I want to note as a sophomore, as a sophomore, CJ Gunn has played more than him, but also not a lot. Um, and then, you know, the question we just had about McKenzie Mbako is, if I were forecasting what I would think is best for his own career, like selfishly, yeah, I'd like him back in Indiana. I like watching him play. But what I think he needs the most are in-game repetitions. Now, whether that's in the G League, an NBA team picks him up, or he's bouncing around Europe, he needs to play basketball games. 
And if he plays 34 at Indiana next year, but eight of them are against the Alcorn states of the world, I mean, that's not going to help him as much for him trying to get to wherever he wants to go um, as it would playing professionally somewhere. Um, so I, they need a lot, you know. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd second Sam's uh, assessment. I think uh, all the, the conversations I've had this year have, have been very, I guess, guard centric, and um, I, it's uh, it, it, IU is really one of the most interesting teams that you know because I do look at college basketball sort of up and down in terms of the rosters, the productivity, you know, across you know different parts of you know every team between guards, you know, forwards, centers. And IU is really, really one of the most unbalanced teams in terms of their productivity. And unbalanced teams, like unless you have like a Zach Eady or some or some complete colossus down low, it's very difficult to win in modern basketball with that much productivity just um, um, sort of centered down literally at the five and four position. So, so yeah. Uh, Offensive punch in the backcourt, speed in the backcourt, you know, the ability to, again, get defenses, you know, switching and help dilemmas and a little bit of shooting and just overall just scoring to basically help open up a little bit more space for the guys like Malik Renew. Because I think we've seen this year that when Renew gets uh, matched up one-on-one with space, he's very difficult to, to, um, to handle. But when he's in a crowd, he's much different. He's just not nearly as effective. And you got to get this kid some help. And I'm just going to kind of throw out, you know, my way. I'm going to kind of look at this a little differently with as the NCAA retrenches. Questions that we've had as to what's ethical behavior versus, um, uh, versus improper activities the line is definitively blurred if not no longer existent and i'm not saying this that you know i'm not using the word cheating what i'm basically saying is what we've done at indiana in the last few years has been phenomenal in um creating a powerful nil system for our for our student athletes and the real question for us now is how do we leverage it and utilize it and I think we've talked about this enough on the show. We're going to keep talking about it, and we're going to keep looking at this as to other as other teams kind of look at the programs, and programs are doing what they're doing with top, you know, with the top five star type players versus the four star type players. How we can better leverage our assets in this sort of unregulated marketplace of the NCAA? Um, that if you can find the system, that you know, find those types of players that can get you into that sweet spot of which IU doesn't really have anybody in there right now. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, our guys are <laughs> the sweet spot. And then our guys are kind of, our like, guys are all, kind of, it's a nice, all around it. there's yeah. a, there's a upside down rainbow or a trough for lack trough. of a better term. That's there. Yeah. Um, we, that we have to kind of look at this from a standpoint that, and, and also looking at it from a standpoint that as the future continues, when you start looking at head coaching candidates, not being as unforgiving as we've been in the past. There we go. I thought we broke Sam for a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. Um, but no, I mean, when we w- retrenching, 
not having the same rules, regulations, or even just having the same sort of, what do we call it, almost bias against certain guys who were dirty or an SOB or whatever you want to call them, you know, you got to get, you know, as you start looking at, at, at how you assemble coaching staffs, how you get, how you get people in, you need guys who are able to compete in the modern landscape. And you need, and, and luckily I think our athletic department can finally bury the ghost of Phil Dickens and be done with this. Um, because it's, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get why when we were all there, we had to do things a certain way because people had long memories and Herman B. Wells ended his academic career basically ended his presidency in Indiana because of the Phil Dickens incident. So I understand why there was a hesitancy on Indiana university's part to, to we're going to be well on side on the right side of the regulations. But if there's no, but if everyone's going 75, 80 and there's no cops on the road, you don't go 110, but you definitely want to keep up with traffic. And you need and you need a car and drivers that can do it. Yeah. It's a great way to say it. Yep. That's a good way to, to close us down. Especially Sam the, the driver's part, most important part. Yeah. It is. It really is. It really is. <laughs> Hold out drivers. Wow. Got to drive long, it. Yeah, too long didn't read, get drivers. That's this episode. That's Sam, cool. we always love it when we spend 90 minutes with you. And we always love it when when, when we when we talk to you. Um, and I, I say that, you know, like, you know, we, we, we're, we're really appreciative of you giving us some time here and hanging out with us and, and actually making your debut on a podcast with us. Yeah. We appreciate right, that. Know. Yeah. I, uh, it's been a long time coming, uh, but obviously think very highly of, well, a lot of what you do, but the way you look at the sport, because it really is always changing. Um, and both of you with your background, it's, it's always easy to uh, parlay off of each other. So thank you guys for having me and the, uh, the warm introduction. Don't worry. The, uh, the checks in the mail. Okay. <laughs> we thank you. And, and again, thank you for everything. You know, yeah. you're just a great dude and we love you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say thanks to Bob Thompson for the music that you hear on the show and the sound that make that, 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 that captures us so well, as well as the designs from John ringer of ringdesign.com. We appreciate all that you've done for us as well. Absolutely. And uh, next episode, episode seven, um, titled, We Didn't See That Coming and Some Things We Did. Uh, how things are basically shaking, shaping up at the end of the regular season in college basketball. So this endless conversation was brought to you by the Back Home Network. Be sure to check out all the great BHN content, including Assembly Call, Doing the Work, and Crimson Cast on YouTube and BackHomeNetwork.com. Until next time, I'm Mike Weemoth. I'm Bob Moat. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks, Sam. Thank, Thank you, boys. Sam.